two, one. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? The perfect organism. Its structural perfection is only matched by its hostility. By its hostile podcasters. Because this is the first days of Mori podcast. First days, Tuesdays, Fridays, whatever the fuck we haven't been able to run on first days for a while. 84th Wayne episode. Chung with Friday. All Sorry. about the Alien <laughs> All about uh, the Alien Trilogy. But... I'm your host, Dean Taylor. Joining me tonight is two smartasses, uh, my co-host, musician, artist, and filmmaker, Devin King. And we've got yeah. an American over here. Who are who the fuck are fuck you, yeah. Steven? <laughs> Game over, man. Yeah. This oh, isn't funny, man. <laughs> howdy, howdy. Um, yeah, I'm Steven Beeson, independent filmmaker. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller of the show. Big Bullshit. fan. Bullshit. Yeah, no, exactly. Not um, so it is, it is funny. This uh, trilogy was actually suggested by one of our uh, uh, our fan uh, participants of the Discord server, which if you're not a member of, you should. You can find this uh, podcast on Spotify, on YouTube, uh, all of those places. Um, and we had a, a member submit this trilogy. He was not able to uh, be here this week, so I get to fill in and talk about Chessbursters. So it's not a bad night. Yeah, well, Indeed. thank you very much, Matthew Jacob, for suggesting this episode. If you're listening right now, buddy, uh, thank you for two of these movies, and we'll see how we feel about the third one uh because there are only Maybe. three alien movies that ever existed that's it nothing else was made no, no there's know. nothing else out there uh just <laughs> well, three uh, alien movies that fox attempted to make all of which Maybe. had terrible horrendous behind the scenes stories a lot of them kick-started directors careers for better or for worse all of them had a huge impact one way or another again for better and for worse. Aliens, arguably even more so than Alien itself, which is saying something, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, this is... Uh, <laughs> it, it is kind of funny, though, because I, I saw someone describe the Alien trilogy as uh, two and a half of the greatest films ever made. <laughs> and I think that might be generous, but we'll get into that. <laughs> so, <laughs> How apropos is it? Uh, yeah, right, yeah. Spoilers, guys, come on. <laughs> well, uh, we all know where I this mean, is. is. I mean, even... we all know where this is going, but... Uh, yeah, right. I think we well, do. Regardless. I, I, I think I'll start off with uh, tonight. Um, so Alien is the classic uh, tale sci-fi horror film um, from uh, director Ridley Scott and writer Daniel Bannon. And uh, the history of how this film came together was quite interesting. I'll try to piece it together based on what I remember seeing in behind the scenes, but I'll probably butcher it, so uh, cite your sources elsewhere. Uh, I don't know why you're listening to a podcast to write your film essay. Um, I remember writing a film essay for this film uh, when I was in uh, college, which I was going to dig up, but then I thought, eh, it's going to be cringe, so I'm not going to do that. Because, um, uh, man, I was shitty at essay writing, I'll say that. Uh, Brian, thanks for listening. Uh, I hope, uh, hope all, all is well. Anyway, not suckers aside. Uh, Alien is a 1979 <laughs> film written by Dan O'Bannon. Uh, the concept for this had been bouncing around for a little while. Um, Dan, when he was in film school, created this little uh, 
comedy film as his thesis project called Dark Star, which is kind of like a prototype version of this film with a, with a more comedic tone. It was meant to be kind of a spoof of 2001 A Space Odyssey, but um, he wanted to try to develop it into a more serious project. Um, oh, John Carpenter, I think, directed that film, actually, yep. Dark Star, um, which is I think we'll have to review on the podcast uh, sometime in the near future. Mm-hmm. But um, I know Dan O'Bannon had this concept for a while. He was working on it. it ba- he bounced off the idea with a few friends of his, and they introduced different ideas. It was someone else that came up with the idea of uh, how the alien uh, reproduces, which I think is really the the visceral selling feature of this concept. Like it's this it's this idea alone uh, that really makes this thing terrifying. And I remember first experiencing this film. Um, I think I was like eight years old, which I think is a bit young to see Alien. But man, uh, I just remember it having such a lasting effect watching it on a grainy VHS tape. The opening sequence with its very kind of kind of ghostly camera moving these dark hallways of a, a, a darkened, really worn in spaceship. I just remember those images really having this evocative um, effect on me watching that at that age. And I think that partially was what inspired me to maybe look into filmmaking or to see something in it. Like it was slow, but something about that really just captivated me at that age. And um, man, there's so many great like analyses of uh, how that sequence foreshadows the rest of the events of the film. I'm not gonna get into that here. Because I know Rob Ager hates it when people plagiarize his stuff, so I'm going to mention him by name and move on. <laughs> um, I absolutely uh, adore Rob Ager's content. I uh, actually probably use him as a source more than anything when writing uh, film essays. Um, needless to say, uh, this film and I go way back. This was like my first foray into horror and like darker science fiction, and I think it's because of this film that I am just a sucker for that genre. I, um, yeah. This is a huge film for me, and I can't understate that. Um, love it. I just wanted to say real quick, I beat you. Uh, <laughs> I was five oh, when I first watched you. this movie. <laughs> because my dad thought it would be a great idea to show this five-year-old a movie about aliens. See, he's like, ah, oh, it's a fun spaceship adventure. You'll love it. And then this was the only film that gave me nightmares. And Incredible. even to this no, day. I, 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 honestly, yeah. it's like it, it has that kind of staying power. Um I think it was yeah. because I saw Galaxy Quest or something beforehand, <laughs> and my dad's like, hey, there's another movie that Sigourney Weaver was in, although it's a little spooky, <laughs> it and, and that was, different. uh, it, it's a little different in tone. Um, <laughs> yeah, a few more but, character um, deaths. <laughs> oh, man, but, um, oh, there, there's something else that this reminded me of that I was going to get into, but, um, it, it, it'll all come back to me as we're talking about it, but, um, Steven, I know... This was your first time seeing these films ever. What? So I am morbidly curious. How did these hit you? Well, you know, it is funny. This is the first time that I saw these films uh, God damn it. for this podcast. It It's interesting when I watched, and I mean, I'll, I'll, we'll go through all of them and, and my thoughts specifically. I, I, I'm, actually, <laughs> I'm actually surprised that somehow I missed these films. No shit. Um, no, I know. Yeah. I mean, no, it's it, it, it exactly quote, what happened unquote, when, fan like, over when, here. um, when like I never saw the thing, and everyone was yeah, shocked when no, saw well, the thing. well, and it it is funny because we went through this with me before because I hadn't seen the Matrix films, 
uh, prior prior to this podcast. So I'm <laughs> I'm glad well, that's, grateful that's for you exactly guys. what this podcast is for. Like this is what yep. we're we're sort of introducing <laughs> each other to these films that we oh, we're all experiencing sure. at too much too young an age. Um, yeah, well, you know, it, I didn't have that experience. I did. Uh, I did have a rather traumatic experience when uh, I walked in uh, one night, and uh, my my father had left uh, HBO on at the time, and uh, it was chasing Amy, and I was trying to boy, figure out why these two scary. women were hurting each other. But anyway, um, it's back to back to aliens um, or alien. <laughs> Um, you know, my reaction to seeing this um, was actually quite a bit like my reaction was to seeing um, uh, Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween. And it's kind of funny you bring up Dark Star. Um, and also kind of funny because Halloween came out the same year as the first Alien film. But, Crazy. you know, there's, yeah, it, no, but there's something about this film that I almost. I had to keep reminding myself, like, well, this feels almost derivative, but it's not. It's not that it's derivative. It just invented an entire genre. It, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, were... it's, it's weird. It's it's an originator, and it's weird to go back and to see it, and it feels so familiar. Mm -hmm. Like, there's so many it films does. that owe them, that, that owe, you know, this, right. that, that owe to this film just because they're, like, carbon copies. Like, and I remember Ridley Scott saying... Uh, when he was uh, going to direct this, that he wanted to create Texas Chainsaw Massacre in space. I think he succeeded. I mean, there is something, you know, extremely sort of, you know, uh, atmospheric about this film, and it's it's much more psychological than I think you you really uh, you think of it nowadays. You know, like it's psychological and psychosexual. <laughs> well, I mean, literally. something, something uh, phallic symbolism, right? But <laughs> something, you know, something yeah. vagina. Uh, but I yeah. think a bit large part in that is they were. This is a very similar behind-the-scenes story to Jaws, where they were originally planning on showing more, more of the creature, but the suit just looked too goofy, and it was took too much time to set it up, and. They couldn't quite get the angles on it right. They couldn't quite get the lighting right. It was pain the ass to use. So because of that, they actually refrained from showing the alien as much as possible until the climax. And I, that's well, the, lighting, probably... the lighting does so much for that because there's a lot of strong like, backlighting and shadows and silhouettes. You don't see the full creature that... in most cases. And, and, yeah, no, like that low-key lighting and really starts like masterful you know, approach to the camera work. And I, I, I got to credit the cinematographer here as well, whose name Absolutely. I should know off the top, but I don't. Um, <laughs> I think they, they, know, they, they did an excellent job turning what would have been like a schlocky B sci-fi film because they were originally pitching this to be like a Roger Corman type project. Um, really? And they just wanted, and they, they decided over, you know, working over the years, they really wanted to elevate it to something else. And it became like an, a world-class movie. Um, the way that they approached it. Well, and I, I mean, that kind of ties into what I was talking about, though, with with the filmic uh, familiarity of this project and like what it means to not just sci-fi movies, not just horror movies, but like cinema itself. There's something about this film that is so timeless. And it is. It's like you're watching 
you know, Halloween and you're thinking to yourself, well, I mean, like, this is kind of like Friday the 13th, which I've seen. This is kind of like this, which I've seen. And it's it's like the grandfather of that, you know? And so it's really interesting to go back and and see something that is so fresh and new and original even today, but it's still like its effects you and the ripples effect. of that. Yeah, can be felt even today in stuff that we probably watched last week. You know what I mean? That is an incredible testament to how this film has stood the test of time. And I think it's interesting. My Obviously, none of us were alive during the time that this film was released. But uh, my mother was actually 19 years old when this was released and she saw it for the first time when it first opened um, in in Houston, Texas. And it was funny because she was telling me that, you know, she saw it and she loved it and it was this experience. And she related another story to me that she had gone back to the cinema to go see another film uh, about a week later. And I I don't know what that was, but uh, I kind of wish I do now, but you know, she was saying that she went to the theater again and watching another film entirely, you could hear the audience on the other side of the theater in the other, you know, projector screaming because they had just gotten to the part where the chest burster comes out. Yeah, like this man. was one of those films that it wasn't even marketed as a film. It was an experience. And it's so much... And I mean, that's almost become like a dirty word now with the whole like Marvel thing, you know, but this what I mean, this was like, you're going to see something you've never seen before. Even oh, yeah. after and all I these think, years. I, I, I think yeah. um, The Exorcist may have opened the floodgates to that a little bit. I think. Oh, that 100%, was like 100%. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine the, the fires that caused in the Bible Belt, too. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> <way>. well, yeah. <laughs> I, I've got but, um, stories about that too, but you know. Oh it's... boy, but yeah, no, I, I I can't imagine just seeing this film for the first time in cinema uh, when it was first coming out. That would have been a hell of an experience, as you say. And I think that chestburster scene, um, what you were talking about, like that's like the titular turning point for this whole film that really throws everything in motion. And I think the reason that it works so well. Um, is because the reactions from the cast and crew were authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, they like were they genuine, yeah. Yeah, they, they 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 didn't know to what extent the uh, you know the 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 effect of the chest burster would have. They didn't know that it was going to come out through his chest. I think, like, especially uh, the one actress. I think her name's Nancy. Yeah, she didn't know she her. was going to get blood on her either. So when she was just like, yeah, ew, gross. Like that was just yeah. because they sprayed <laughs> and, a bunch and, of corn syrup on her. And, and, and that's exactly what they also did uh, for the exorcist. I think when, um, you know, the, the, the priest was going to get vomited on, they they said it was going to end up on his chest, but it ended up on his face. And yeah. they, they did a lot of other things to uh, get re- reactions out of the uh, cast. Well, and it, it's also funny because I, I believe the actress that you're uh, talking about was originally planned <laughs> for the part of Ripley. So she didn't even know that she had been downgraded, you know, in the cast. Till the and last so, day. 
Yeah. Yeah, until like the last day. So not only is she kind of like bummed out, it's like, oh my god, you know. I got go for but, this uh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so right. yeah, she's. Uh, I I think something yeah. about that, that dynamic keeps the the tension throughout. Like even if you know going in from the reputation of the film that Ripley survives. It's hard to tell, like, just with how the team dynamic plays out, like, who's going to go next. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. And I I will say this, and this kind of is one of the things that I think has not aged particularly well, is there's this kind of sense of deliberate pacing, Mm -hmm. whereas, whereas when you're watching this for the first time and you were in that theater and you're experiencing it, it's like you don't know what's gonna happen, but like today, looking through it, you know, through looking at it through like a modern lens, we're more like, okay, I know that somebody, like, I know somebody is about to die. You know what I mean? Really? But, but I, I, I see. Also any comes good back to um, that, how this film has just been so influential to others that they've just copied the same kind of formula. Well, that's it. And now, yeah, and, and, and now to... looking back, it just becomes more apparent and now it's more predictable. But at the time, it was absolutely fresh. Oh, yeah, yeah it, it's hard to hold that against it is kind of what I'm saying. It's like, it, it's, yeah, it, it's a classic and, and, you know, for a reason. I mean, this film is, I guess that was kind of the biggest thing that was, you know, that I got out of it is like the ripple effect. You know, it's effect. fascinating. Ah, and I think I, I just want to point out this film was released in 1979 and the practical effects look incredible. Like it, this film has some of the best set design I've ever seen in a movie. Like the derelict ship, oh it feels God. so lived in and so believable, like how it's constantly because it's not perfect. There's so many little imperfections to it, but that adds so much to the atmosphere. And then you get to the alien, like the actual layer for the aliens and it's so immaculately designed hr geiger who did the infamous for doing the creature designs and artwork for the alien trilogy as a whole he did a fantastic job and i just got a picture like the amount of time it would take to actually build those sets and build those details and especially when you see kind of the pilot hooked up to the you know to the alien ship just kind of frozen there like a statue like it's so it it perfectly thrives on that mystery and i think that's why the deliberate pacing doesn't bug me at all in this movie is because it always earns it it's always earning your attention it never felt like it was wasting my time because oh 100% i have to say i have to say that um that space jockey set was such a uh, you know big set piece even though they were only going to be there briefly they put so much time into it and they wanted to make sure that every moment it was on film was uh you know not wasted because they wanted to build this thing in full scale they didn't want to fake it with a miniature they wanted the actual you know actors to be able to walk on set and show you that it's a fully built out thing and it looks absolutely immaculate and i think hr Dieter himself actually was even on there helping design it and airbrushed every inch of it himself which that time you know that type of artistic dedication to real built sets is something you don't see that much these days but i think it absolutely sells the effect and sells the scale of this like it looks like a real preserved alien creature who's just been kind of locked in this just you know mummified almost like it's stuck well in, in this machine thing like it, there's something about the design of it too where it has like a, a viewer screen just like permanently fixed to its face yeah. and it just it's 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 so like locked in it's really sad the way you look at how it's designed like it's thing it's it's been 
built and designed to kind of just be stuck in this spot and to do the job constantly. It's very dystopian. Um, but oh, no, it just, the, the production it, yeah. design is incredible. I mean, it, it, it almost feels reminiscent of uh, Stanley Kubrick's uh, 2001 A Space I'd Odyssey, which better. I think... I, I think up until that this point in cinema, that was kind of the, you know, definitive sci-fi film, and so to try and you know top that is is you know no small feat in and of itself. Yeah, and, and part of it is like you know the visual effects look fantastic and everything, the atmosphere, the world building, like you said, the lighting is fantastic. Now, if that means anything, if we don't care about the characters involved, then. I always appreciate just how real these characters felt. They don't feel like characters. They feel like people. Like, there was a line I think the director of Lawrence of Arabia said once where I like to write characters I just want to sit down and have dinner with. And I just want to hang out with all of these characters. Like, they all feel so real and believable. None of their decisions... Okay, most of their decisions, cough cat at the end of the movie, cough, uh, made tangible sense... <laughs> Like, I love Harry Dean Stanton and his partner just always complain about work, always talk about how they want to go home. Because I've met so many construction workers and so many, like, low-rate, low low-wage workers. Blue-collar. Yeah, blue-collar blue workers, workers that have that exact same personality. Like, I feel like I've met all of these people at some point in my oh, life. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think that, that, that that's the one thing that this film, like, did that was kind of distinct from other sci-fi films at the time is it had – you know, basically these truck drivers in space, these blue-collar type worker attitudes in space, and it makes it feel much more personable and relatable for a lot of people, especially if you're working in that kind of, you know, level, or at least you know people like that, or you live that kind of life yourself. Well, and I think it's, I, I mean, I think that ties into kind of a, an overall theme that kind of permeates throughout these movies, mm -hmm. not so much the third one, but, you know, especially this I one and the second the one. Third one a little bit. Uh, anyway. I, I do. I do have but to say, we... since I started working in a factory, watching this now, it hits. It well, hits even more close to home, which I'd is imagine. weird. Well, um, no, I mean, <laughs> but the theme of these films is like there's a coldness and there's a darkness, but there's always this sort of like warm center. There's a sense of humanity, and I feel like, and I know we're gonna get to the third one, but it's like that to me was kind of what was missing from the third one is this sense of, you know, there's a center, there's something there. And I had that in the first one. I had that in the second one where it's like, I care about these people. I yeah. don't want to see them get ripped to shreds. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like even characters. Movie... Yeah. Go on. No, no, no. I mean, just for a horror movie to be able to accomplish that even today, is like unheard of. People talk about, you know, Midsommar, one of these like great horror movies. I don't care about a single character. They're all assholes. Maybe the main character. Like, I feel but... like the dread that comes from watching these people that you actually give a shit about, it makes it that much more frightening when you're able to look at it and, and recognize someone like you're talking about and be like, oh, I know that guy. Yeah, you know, exactly. well, well, now the horror of watching him, you know, get ripped to shreds. I mean, my God, that's 
so much worse. So much more you know? visceral. But it's the main reason I can't stand most slasher movies, because they have that exact problem where you just don't care about any of them, or they're designed or written in a way where you want to see them get murdered, so you just feel nothing but maybe like a bit of like tingly satisfaction. Like, it's the same reason I didn't like the original Black Christmas very much, because the whole time I was just thinking, oh, where's the part where I should care? Like, I don't like any of these women. I don't care if any of them get murdered. Like, I just don't care. And That's it's so easy. Shot and tried. Ju it's so easy just to make characters you care about by just making them relatable and interesting and unique from one another. Like, they, yeah, they all have that worker class personality, but they all also feel very distinct from one another. And their introductions well, are very I important mean, I, I, I in establishing in the their characters. Of, well, and I mean, I think it can work in some films. I mean, you know, the, the characters in. In, in something like Nightmare on Elm Street or not, particularly, uh, I mean, depending on which film, right? Like, they're not particularly great, well, we'll uh, interesting, developed characters. But they, you know, you have all of these, this, like, personality from the villain and, you know, that sort of thing. And, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is it can work, but in the context of this film it works so much better to Especially have this sort spacing. of like yeah th this tangible sense of humanity mm -hmm. yeah and it's just like anytime again like that whole i want to have dinner with these characters you're just like what are these characters doing when they aren't working like what are these characters doing at home what are these characters doing back on earth like that added level of intrigue just adds so much to characters it makes you want to see them get out alive and all of the performances are pretty top most of the performances are pretty top notch i'll get to that in a second the actress who didn't become ripley didn't become ripley for a reason but like uh, of well, course I mean, I Reaver's... Hold that. yeah i uh, wouldn't hold that against her. I, I, mean... I don't know i thought she was kind of there was some line delivery so i was just like eh. and like especially compared to I everyone did... else i thought I, she was I a little bit different I... I will say I thought uh, Harry Dean Stanton was incredible. It was really cool incredible. to see him. I mean, he is, but it's always cool to go back and see old movies and like see him pop up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he looks so young. <laughs> yeah, man. I had the I had this thought of like David Lynch sitting at home watching Alien and and watching Harry Dean Stanton wandering around and yow and being like. That's it. That's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's so, I mean, yeah. But anyway. But incredible um, cast no, I, all I, around. I, like Ian Holm, I, I, God rest his soul, is also like fantastic. Uh, I love Yifet, him as Yafet uh, Kato was actually like really impressive to me. Yeah. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah. Also God rest and his I soul. And I liked his performance because here's the thing. When you go back and you look at older movies, especially like horror movies, but but a lot of movies of this era, and, and I'll use Ghostbusters as kind of a, a de facto example, but go. it's like there's so many of these films that it's like, oh, well, here's this guy, and he's on the team, and this is his personality, and then this guy, you know, he's kind of an affable dork or whatever, and then this guy, you know, he's got this kind of slimy, sleazeball, you know, personality. And then this guy, he's like the black guy. <laughs> you know I, mean? I mean, it sounds terrible, but like so many of those characters get like relegated to the background in a way. And this mm. character actually had some agency. He felt like no, I, his the, own person. 
I I really like the uh the the guy that um the black guy his his name was Yafit like the the actor and Yafit. I thought he yeah yeah I I thought he did a terrific job and I remember hearing a story about when he was signed on to the uh, project that he knew that this was going to be a good film that this was going to be a classic he was gung ho about it from the get go and I thought he did a terrific job throughout oh, 100%. and um. He was also in Live and Let Die. He was in The Running Man. He was I mean, like a just fun a... little character actor. Parker. Of sorts. Oh, yeah, Parker. Parker was, Parker was yeah. it. It's, fu it's funny. I remember I remember the actor's name uh, before I remember the character's name. I don't know why I said well, here, But, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I thought everybody did a pretty fantastic job. I think Sigourney Weaver was by far the best. Well, of course. Um, There's a reason she's the lead star in two more movies after this. I mean, you're not going to let this go, are you? I mean, no, I I'm think not... the lady did fine. No, I, I mean, here. no, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean, Sigourney Weaver, like, proved <laughs> no, herself of this movie, is what I meant to say. Oh, 100%. Well, in Ridley and... Scott even said that, that you know, I, I'm not sure exactly the story, but it sounded like maybe ripley's part became even bigger throughout the production pro uh, process it because that of how that was it because the, the way each of the characters are written they were kind of written in a in a bare bones way they weren't written with a lot of depth like they had some little bit of backstory here and there but it there wasn't as newly developed as like the care as the uh, the main creature and everything but the fact that they were kind of written without a particular like gender in mind that they were all written as just like members of this crew I guess kind of gave them a uh, a blank slate to work with and to kind of, you know, be be able to play around with the gender roles a little bit, um, which was uh, pretty you know big for the time, and I think really helped um, neutralize the characters in a in a more I don't know it it, it, it made it feel a little more grounded than the way these characters might have been played up in other films, and I thought they did a terrific job with it. Yeah. And we have even talked about, like, the big kind of satirical element of all these films is that, like, capitalism just controlling these low-level workers and taking advantage of them. And that's something, like, oh, all I of these they're... movies explore to an extent, which is, like, really interesting kind of thematic connection between them. And I'm kind of glad, like, these three films, even Alien Free, stuck that to that at least to some extent but this film definitely explored it yeah. the most like mother it, being it shows this, like the yeah, negative no. yeah it shows the negative sides of like corporate influence mother's this very controlling uh you know micromanager that they have to um Put up you know report to and uh also one interesting like detail that's right up front is it tells you that there's like 60 million tons of like iron ore on this ship or something like it's it's a statistical you know, fact about the cargo they're carrying that really doesn't come into play in the movie. But the fact that that information is there shows that that is what's at stake, and that's what the corporation's really concerned about more than anything. They're concerned about the material they're carrying more than the crew. And um, there's also even like this uh, conspiracy idea or theory that um, they sent them to this planet to pick up this organism that they knew was there, and because they wanted the bioweapon. I guess it became more of a plot thing in this in the second film, but that is also something that could have been there from the get-go. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of crew expendable, like we're going to send these low-class workers to do the most dangerous work imaginable because we just don't care about their livelihood, we care about the profit they bring back to us. That whole element was also... it's There's also like mm -hmm. a lot of comparisons to mine workers, like 
they have to contact their boss over the phone, like they have to contact Mother by typing to her instead of actually talking face to face. You know, there's like the space, you know, the actual ship is very much like a mine with lots of dark tunnels and, you know, lots of like everything's breaking all at once. Everything's really dangerous and really bad. Well, I put did, together. you know, I think, I think, interesting uh, way of looking at it. No, it is interesting. I mean, there's definitely a, a sort of critique on uh, capitalist <laughs> sort of big money, you know, society in a way that kind of permeates throughout all of these films. And, um, you know, I think I think you actually feel it the most in Aliens. But I was actually reading that uh, Alien 3, when, when they originally started working on the script, the plan was that uh the earth society would be like this this sort of marxist rebellion and it was like the just uh, for all to the sell space, the other window <laughs> space communist versus like the big greedy capitalist libertarian uh ogliarchs and it was going to be like a cold war allegory um oh, which i thought which i thought was fascinating and i i almost wish we had gotten that because that's i'm, that's I'm glad we didn't <laughs> yeah i'm also glad we didn't uh, that would uh, uh, have aged well anyway it would have been better than what we got but uh moving on <laughs> moving on uh music elliot uh, sorry jerry goldsmith hates the soundtrack to this movie like every great song ever the composer just hates the soundtrack like John, like uh, Ennio Morricone, infamously hated this soundtrack for the Fane. John Carpenter wasn't too happy with the Halloween soundtrack and was surprised they used it. And now it's the same here. It's like all of these great horror composers just hate their best work for <laughs> whatever reason. To be humble, I guess. But I thought that was like an interesting tidbit of information. The opening theme alone is just so perfect. Like the build up, the tense noises, and the. I forget what instrument is played towards the end of the song, but it's kind of become iconic with the Alien franchise. And it comes in at just the perfect time, like when you're seen inside the spaceship for the first time. It's just, wow, it builds this sense of mystery and wonder, and you're just glued to the screen at that point. Again, despite its deliberate slow pacing, it wasn't wasting my time in any sense, and the music really helped build on that atmosphere for me. No, I mean, it is funny. I mean, I think a lot of composers do go through that sort of like uh, imposter syndrome in a way. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, Hans Zimmer uh, supposedly hated his score to The Lion King, That's you know, true. which is ar arguably is one of his masterpieces, if mm -hmm. not his magnum opus in a way. Agreed. And um, no, I mean, it is fascinating to see these people at the top of their career who you know, have created some of the most influential music of all time, and yet they don't they don't even believe that themselves. So it's, well, really... it's, it's, it's interesting, because I remember this uh, conversational point coming up a little bit um, when uh, Hans Zimmer was talking about his score for Dune, which there, there's a lot of interesting cross-pollination here. Um, you know, Dan O'Bannon came away from working with... Uh, Jodorowsky, who was uh, trying to adapt Dune way back in the, way way back in the day, and it was the falling out from that production that led to this production in a weird in a weird sense. But um, Hans Zimmer was talking about when he was storing 
then he did the news dune how he wanted to get away from using like the western store and and put more eastern influences in it that sounded a little more alien um ironically and th that's something that actually you know the jerry goldsmith store in this film is very much like a symphonic western type of store um and then i remember seeing a comment on that han zimmer uh interview um where it was uh, someone from india saying that this is interesting because to him growing up in the eastern you know world it was western sounding symphonic scores that sounded more alien to him um where you know the more the influences that uh, Hans Zimmer was playing from sounded more familiar to, to someone there so it's interesting how you know just the other side of the world sounds more alien to us and then we use that as an influence really we're just kind of commenting on each other's uh, you know outer cultural differences when talking about aliens which you know I, I find it funny that words used a lot to describe people that aren't from where you live um, well even, there is even, that even on our own planet yeah no, I mean, there is that element of social commentary that a lot of great horror films have. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think there's something there about, you know, the original Alien. And, you know, Aliens was kind of intended as this, you know, critique on, like, the Vietnam War. And so I think, it, I think it's a fair assessment to kind of bring in those sort of ideas when we're talking about these films that, you know, often are using allegories or, or metaphors. And I think for what it's worth, the first two films in this franchise, they do it in a way that is not, it's not overbearing. It doesn't beat you over the head. It gives you an idea of what this film is about, but it's so well executed and so nuanced um, that, that it's really refreshing to see in kind of today's landscape. Absolutely. I think, um, sorry, I'm just kind of reading what we're uh, chatting in the discord. It's like, we're doing two things at once here. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, um, well, I mean, are we, are we ready to give a rating? Yeah. We have honestly, thought. I don't know what else to say about it. It's alien. Like what have, what can we it, add to alien, it that alien people haven't said already? It, it's exactly. such a classic. Everything's been said. I wrote an essay on this like four years ago. That was totally cringe. What's I remember title? thinking and overthinking about it. And I just come back to it, and I just want to enjoy, you know, monster movie in space. It's fun. It's a good time. It's uh, yeah. Uh, fuck it. This is a this is a ten out of ten movie for me, bud. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. Uh, starting out strong. It would be I, a ten out of know. ten if it wasn't for the one actress I talked about and oh my El god, Ellen going back for that cat. Bob Harpman uh, on her. She's great. Ellen oh, going okay. back for the cat. I, I have a funny story about about the cat. <laughs> All right, go uh, on. Jones, who, who, who I love that he's a recurring yeah, character Jersey, in Jersey, Jersey. the next movie as well. I, I love him in this. Uh, but um, apparently, so there, there, there's two conflicting pieces of information I've heard about this. One uh, on IMDb, it says that in order to get the cat Jones to hiss on camera, uh, they hid a German Shepherd behind a yep. screen and then revealed <laughs> to him at the right moment. And that got the cat to hiss. But according to the audio commentary I listened to, because I've seen these films so many times, I just watch them with audio commentary to get more insights. I wish I wrote notes. I'm just kind of trying to misremember them as we're going through this. But they said that um, the best way to get a, a cat to hiss on camera is another cat that they did, that it doesn't know. So it could be a German Shepherd or it could have been a cat that they had off screen. But uh, <laughs> that's kind of great. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. It's very clever well, solution. That's for sure. Uh, despite my 
those two glaring nitpicks, this is also like in my top 10 films ever made. Like, holy crap, we were constantly talking about like some of my favorite films ever this year. Like, we've got, I've gotten so lucky to talk about these movies on this podcast. Uh, it's Man, wonderful. Thank, thank haunting. God for whoever does the schedule on this yes, podcast. You know me Shout so out well, Matt. Uh, 9.6 <laughs> out of 10 for me. It's not quite I'm 10 gonna... out of 10, but it's 9.6. It's as close as to a 10 as most films are ever going to get for me. Well, I'm going to give this a solid 9. Uh, it's not quite a 10 for me. I think the pacing might make it a little bit difficult on rewatch. Um, but yeah, man, holy crap. It's a masterpiece for a reason. Uh, I'm saving the 10 <laughs> for later in this episode. Um, but uh, it, yeah, I mean, what what more can you say? It's Alien. Go watch it. Don't if be like me and seen wait. It yet, you're not a real yeah. horror fan until you see it, like Steven. Yeah, well, <laughs> now I get to be a horror fan. So it, it also has one of the most iconic opening text reveals ever. Mm-hmm. Like the they were there was a concept. I just remembered this that they wanted to do something with like bones and guts and viscera to spell out Alien. But it was just a little too like over the top and kind of grotesque for an opening. It would have made it really cheesy too, I think. Yeah, so I don't think that would have worked. Just going for a basic text where it's reve- where it reveals the letters one line at a time. I don't know. There's something so eerie and 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 uh, also kind of classy about that. Like it's very subtle. But I remember just like watching it, just seeing it slowly kind of spell out. And I like that the film kind of makes you focus on this and really takes its time to really unfold like it is deliberate pacing but it absolutely works and it's it just creates this evocative atmosphere every single time i just get you know chills every time i watch it perfectly establishes the tone and atmosphere mm-hmm. uh, also one of the most famous taglines of all time in space no one can hear you scream which is such a disturbing terrifying tagline that <laughs> just makes me wish most taglines didn't make me want to throw up in my mouth uh speaking of this had some of the best marketing for its time as well yeah. like i i oh, i i, I, I use the original you know i i Ian, i always love when you dig up like these fan posters for the films that we do but for this yeah. one i just had to go with the originals because that original alien poster is so, so iconic for a reason but it's also very it's very kind of restrained in its design as well. Like it's very simple and kind of classy. And I think you could almost cite this and I, and this, this term gets thrown around a lot and I know Steven hates it, but I think elevated horror is what well, you call this being the original tentpole of, you know, it's, I, I could, it's, it's not just I your could, cheesy sci-fi. It's not just your low right horror film. This is, you know, more than that. No, I, I'd be willing to agree with that. I mean, I'm going to introduce the next film. I do want to take this moment to just, because Ian brought up taglines, there's one thing that always bothers me when, when we talk about taglines is that so many horror films today, they did this with Hereditary, they've done it like over the last 15 years at least. There's been 200 films that have come out, and the tagline is it's the scariest film since The Exorcist. Oh, I, yeah. I, oh, I hate, hate that. it. Well, okay, there's a really it, cheesy one that I can't help but like, even though it's just as terrible. It's for a Rocky Horror Picture Show, 
and and I literally have like a 3D relief like statue thing. In oh, this yeah, I hand. think I know. It says a, a different set of jaws, and it shows like the close up of the lips. I love it. I mean, I mean that's different. That's I mean, clearly that's... a parody. Yeah. The yeah. different set of jaws. Ooh, ha, ha. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ha, ha. Well, Shark bait. Uh, speaking of uh, throwing up after being away for a long time, aliens. Steven? Oh, uh, excuse me? <laughs> well, aliens. Uh, or as James Cameron uh, initially pitched this, alien dollar sign. Uh, James <laughs> Cameron, I want to be your no, that cameraman. Is, that, that, is, is, that is literally the story of how this film came to be. James Cameron was a uh, hot shot young director, hot off the success of the Terminator films. I believe he had done some work on Rambo as well by this point. Yeah, uh, I think he did the first uh, Terminator film. He hadn't done the second one yet, but it was well, because he did this film that allowed him to create this, his second one. If I'm, yes, no, if I'm, and if I'm uh, the pitch was he walked into a production room meeting with the uh, the the blackboard behind him. He drew the word alien, followed by a dollar sign, and that is how Aliens was born. <laughs> it is the sequel to the 1979 science fiction horror film Alien. It is the second film in the Alien franchise which means it's the last film in the Alien franchise. <laughs> uh, it is set in the far future, where Sigourney Weaver, uh, returning as Ripley, is uh, awakened from her cryo state, and communications are lost with this human colony, and she has to go to this moon and save these people, or do they need saving? What's going on? It has a ragtag group of uh, space marines beside her um this film features phenomenal performances from uh bill paxton may he rest in peace michael bean uh, lance hendrickson i mean this film is as quentin tarantino himself once described it everything that you could want in a sequel and more it delivers very apt. Here's, I I 100% agree. I think well before Ian, uh, I don't know if I don't know what your angle on this Ian is yet, but I think that this <laughs> is an absolutely exceptional sequel, and I think it succeeds in a couple of ways. It takes enough from the original that it is a faithful like follow-up story, but it also does its own thing with it. Like it's not the slow build suspenseful horror that the first one is exactly like it absolutely has those elements and it still plays with them, but it also ups the ante in a way that feels organic. And I like how it picks up where the last one left off. Yet there is this time gap of 60 years that she's been in cryo sleep. I absolutely love the opening shots of this film where it's like these cold kind of nebulous clouds in space. And you just see the frost and the, you know, the, the dust in her, uh, you know, ship, as they find her i love james cameron's like use of uh you know blue lighting in these in the films of this oh era. my god it's, it's such the a mood cinematography setting. this in this is incredible um and it was great. such an interesting choice that he went to full 35 mil um instead of anamorphic um which is like a different aspect ratio and it's because he hated working with anamorphic lenses he just said that it created problems with compositing vfx because it was hard to get the look to match right um, Interesting, but I I, I admire that uh, you know 
uh, direction that he had with this. And he was always, you know, trying to uh, create something that made the processing for effects uh, work better later on. And I well, think they absolutely hold up. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, this film, we talked about this with Alien, but with Aliens, I mean, this is a film that has been listed on several uh, greatest films of all time lists. Uh, this film launched the careers, not just of James Cameron himself, but, you know, Michael Bean and Bill Paxton, uh, you know, Sigourney Weaver. I mean, if she wasn't big from, you know, Alien, I mean, this skyrocketed her. This was yes. number 30 on Empire Magazine's 500 Greatest Films of All Time. Mm -hmm. um, this is like everything that I wanted and more. Um, I honestly, I mean, I, I can't think of enough good things to say. This is, I honestly prefer this to the original. And I know a lot of people kind of go back and forth about which one they prefer. They're, they're obviously doing different things and they're going for a different tone, but aliens to me is like the perfected version. And I think it's so interesting because it's hard enough to follow up to one of the greatest horror movies of all time and to live up to that legacy, if not succeed it. It's but it's even more so to do that in a totally different genre. Yeah. Uh, and it, here's the thing. I, I wouldn't even yeah. say that it's a completely different genre, but he takes enough of like what of what sets the mood and the atmosphere of the original and there's enough of those elements there but then he he paints it in a different light and he does up the ante with the action but it still does build in those horror elements just as well and it, it expands the world uh in a very oh, sure. interesting way so yeah like i think there's a lot of overlap between the two there's just enough overlap that it works but it does bring it into that action realm more when you introduce the marine characters yeah and here's the thing like normally i hate it like absolutely loathe it when we go from a film with a like a more deliberate tone to a more action-packed tone like i think of the total recall remake or you could argue the jj abrams star trek movies and everything onwards where they take the slow deliberate good intentions of the original source material and just turn the action schlock and somehow I, I never quite figured out how this film avoided that trap. And I think it's like you said, Stephen, there, there's no false pretenses. It isn't trying to be like the original film, at, at least a carbon copy of it. It just does its own thing. It's like, yeah, we're an over-the-top, horrific action movie, and we know it. Like, we're going to wrap that around well, just like it, a warm it blanket, and it works no, because of it that. it doesn't apologize for itself. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's just this is what we're doing. Buckle up. Yeah, this That's is what we're doing. This is what's happening. Any... Like even the marketing was like that too. It's like there's more aliens, more action, more danger. Like they weren't afraid to embrace the more action-packed tone, and I really respect that because, like, if you look at Star Trek Discovery, for example, they hype that up as oh, we're going back to old Star Trek. It's all about exploration, discovery, and then the first episode. It just turns into an action schlock fest with lots of melodrama. Like, it, that's pure false marketing. But there's no BS here in Aliens whatsoever. And uh, yeah, this film's fantastic. Uh, I don't like it as much as the first Alien, but it is one of the best action movies ever made, regardless. And it is well, definitely earned I mean, its right. Really neck and neck for culture. me. Like, I don't hold much 
like one in much lesser or higher regard than the other they are both just like yin and yang in term as far as i'm concerned like they absolutely they can't live perfectly connect and correlate i mean to me if this is like star wars i mean this is like the empire strikes back i'd say this that's is pretty the... different though well going for different i mean things different i mean tone. they're going for different things but this is like everything that you liked about the original plus all of these new elements mm -hmm. building That's on true. the world we're taking all these steps forward we're and, learning yeah. more about these characters we're, we're we're developing these characters in a way that complements the original because again these are characters that have a sense of community and a sense of you know identity i mean yeah. It's so hard to do that in sci-fi horror. And, Especially and action sci-fi horror. And exactly, right. I alluded to like the introductions being especially important for establishing a character's personality, and that's nailed once again in this movie with the Colonial Marines. Like, What's Bill Paxton's first interaction with the generals? Like, what are you waiting for? Shoes and slippers? Gee, would you, sir? That would be great. Look into my eye, private. And right there. We know the relationship between these two characters. We know that Hex is, like, stubborn. He's an asshole. He's lazy. He's, but he's also like really cocky and arrogant. He puts on a whole macho like facade, and he's complaining yeah. about a cold war. Oh, the ultimate you know? badass. <laughs> and I, I, no. I, I love, I love that whole interaction between uh, him and Vasquez as well. Like, what's the first line <laughs> he says? To oh, her? hey Vasquez, have you ever been mistaken for a man? No, have you? <laughs> No, like, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, this film, I I mean, it feels like <laughs> it's kind of weird to just talk about this film in terms of how great it is. But the cinematography is incredible. This film is it looks gorgeous, beautifully lots shot, of great gorgeous. wide shots, exactly. like long takes. Like I love the opening shots inside the aliens. Sorry, the Colonial Marines ship, which looks like a Halo assault rifle, <laughs> but that was kind of distracting no, this time around. But it, the, the shots the, inside, the like it's just long, quiet shots that show like the racks of guns, the tables set up with food on the table. And it, it again, it's just so much visual storytelling. So much of the environment is clear to the viewer. There's a great sense of geography and space in every frame. And that's something that's hard to get right in an action horror movie. Like, that's something you have to nail is just the sense of space and the sense of surroundings. Not only to make the action cohesive, but to also, like, build on the horror and keep everything grounded. And that's something they absolutely nail through, like, both the visuals and very clever use of exposition. Like, it's it, – the exposition, when they do use it, is very clean and to the point. And I think that's just because it has so much great visual storytelling to help back it up. Well, and I mean, here's the thing. It, it, it's so, like – like you were talking about with the Vasquez, you know, Vasquez, that that yeah. interaction setting up everything you need to know about these characters. That's something that you see in these kind of movies done so much worse. Like yes. we kind of talked about this <laughs> with, like, No, no, we we've talked about this with like uh M. Nai Shyamalan's The Happening, you know. It's like, <laughs> oh, this this guy likes hot dogs. That's this his guy, entire personality. This guy likes math. He always brings up math problems. Get it? He's a math teacher. No, exactly. Yeah. But this, like, this film gives these characters a sense of personality in a few lines. Without being stupid. And they though. never feel like caricatures. They yeah. feel like people you've met mm -hmm. or, or you know 
you feel elements of them it makes the horror that much real it yeah, complements yeah. the theme of the original of this sense of community the sense of humanity they they, they, Standing... they have they have a really good like camaraderie between the crew no, and they i think do. that's really i think that's what really i think that the, the part that's really overlooked that really grounds these films and really makes this other world the horrific you know space adventure like the way that really connects the audience is the human element and i do think the you know camaraderie between the marines but also ripley's character and her like i don't know did you do steven did you watch the theatrical cut or did you see the uh, director's cut of this i actually i watched uh i believe the director's cut of all three though for for alien three i think it's called the assembly cut it's the, oh if i was the uh, editor's yeah. cut yeah but, um, yeah but no um i think uh so so there's there's a plot point that was cut out of the theatrical version which i think really you know solidifies this film and, and, and ripley's character is that she finds out well we find out that he, she had a daughter on earth who was 11 years old when she had left God, and then yeah. she had died like her like her daughter on earth and she like never met her growing up um and i think that also i love the room that she's in where it's like there's a fake screen that shows like a forest and like the whole idea that they put behind us that when you're you know out so far from earth uh, out in space you want some kind of natural comfort like that so they would have rooms like that and i really love the uh design of those um and the fact that that's where she finds out that her, her daughter died i think really you know sets up to her feeling like a failure as her mother and then she finds uh newt uh you know this lost girl that has been trying to survive on this uh you know base where these aliens have rampant and then her having kind of like a second chance to be a mother to somebody and i i really love that character growth in this and i feel like that grounded human element really makes this film work and that you know it, it's not overlooked but i do think it's not talked about as much but i do think that that is what grounds these films is that element of it well and you know it's i, I mean it's funny because like, I mean, the best way that I know to describe this is like, you know, we, we talked about this with uh, Alien. It's like, uh, imagine taking an elevated film and elevating it again. like In a different direction. It, it's, yeah. the, the direction is incredible. Like you're talking about, the, the characters are so human. And so you have this emotional attachment to them within the first five minutes of screen time. The, the script economy on this is incredible, you know? Like, I, I mean, just setting all of this up, it's a long, slow build-up, and then when things let loose, I mean, it's... It, I mean, the, the action is some of the best action sequences that, you know, I've ever seen. Yeah, um, I, want to, I, I just, I just want to yeah. say one fun fact, quick, uh, with... Uh... What, when he looks, when she was looking at a picture of her uh, child on Earth that died, that's actually a picture of Sigourney Weaver's mother they used. Oh, <laughs> uh, just to make it funny. heartbreaking, which no, is kind of funny. Mean, but um, but it but, does but, like it does tie into that whole sense, and I mean that's a lot of what you know happens with this bond between Newt and Sigourney Weaver, and you know sort of like creating this family unit by the end of the film, and I think. That might be why I disliked <laughs> Alien oh, Three so much. You're, you're, you're not alone in that. Don't worry. Your well, guys oh, are just so know. eager. We'll, we'll, we'll burn that bridge when we get there. Don't yeah. worry. Oh, we'll have to hold yeah. you back. 
And but, here's um, something that blew my mind. Like, there's st they still manage, even with all of the high-octane action and all of the breathtaking firefights, like, the escape for the ventilation shaft is, like, one of the best scenes in the movie. The music adds so much to that scene. But my favorite scene was the turret sequence. Like, that is the epitome of perfect, like, horror of the mind. Like, hearing, like, the beeping sounds of the turrets running out of ammo, like... Uh, it screaming cuts of the right, aliens. The screaming of the aliens yeah. all around you, and the fact that, like, even when it's over, they're just like, oh, thank God, like, the aliens are gone, but there's that sinking feeling of, oh, no, the turrets are out of ammo. Like, what are we going to do when they and, come back? We're just totally screwed. Like, it nails uh, that per That's the perfect blend of action and horror in that one single sequence. I think that was trimmed down a bit in the theatrical cut, too, but the director's cut just really... It happens t two times. It just keeps going and going and stretches out like this rubber band of tension. And yeah, I think well, the director's cut is this better was, for that. No, and no, hundred percent. And I think it's interesting because you know one of my complaints, and I didn't actually get to this when we were talking about Alien, um, but one of my complaints was that the ending with the airlock. It kind of felt a little cheesy. It, the whole fact like that she had... went back for the cat was kind of like, really? No, no, I understand. The one effect that really stands out for me in Alien that doesn't hold up is the plasma thing. That's clearly water that they oh, were dripping yeah. with, with a backlight. And, yeah. I mean, it worked. I mean, what else were you going to do at that point? But it, it was funny hearing Ridley Scott's kind of excuse for that. Like, I don't know what a plasma thing is, but it's at, but water just seems like the right thing to use it for sounds this. sounds cool. Yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but the but you compare that to like this with with the uh, you know like the the airlock in this and it rips apart the android and there's these white cats going everywhere and then she shows up in this mech suit. I mean, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine seeing this in theaters. Like this, this oh. is a film that deserves to be seen on a big screen. It's it's well made and 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 uh you know masterful enough that you can get the same effect from from seeing it at home but i think if this mm. came to my town i would be like first in line to see this at like an anniversary show it yeah this yeah this is, oh man and i remember I, I remember people having you know that comment we talked about dune earlier where it's like, you know, oh, you have to see this on a big screen. And I, I didn't get to the theaters in time. But I, I feel like a lot of people almost use that as a cop-out nowadays. It's like, oh. I heard that about The Green Knight, too. Where it's like, there's so much weight put on the spectacle. But this, this is not just the spectacle. This is all of these elements coming together in this incredible, mm. cohesive way that doesn't feel like... I mean, yes, it is a spectacle. Yes, it's action-packed. Yes, it's high-octane. But it's so well-made. The characters aren't an afterthought. They're not tropey. They're not, you know, they're not bland and blank, blank like you might see in something like Dune or The Green Knight, unfortunately. But this just, holy crap, this is everything you want and more. I mean, it's... yeah. No, and speaking of characters that could have been blank, one of the underrated like character arts in this, or at least tying from like with the last film, was uh, you know she has that really traumatizing experience with the android. Like they find out that they have like, a yes. robot on board, and he's trying to kill her, 
and there's that like pseudo rape scene where he tries to like stuff a porno down her throat or something because he doesn't have a dick that's uh that's it's super that's, weird that's, yeah no no that 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 that's exactly what ridley scott intentions that was 100 percent intentional and and, and and that was uh, and it was it was funny hearing him in the commentary explaining that to Sir Gordon Weaver and she's like oh I didn't realize the forty and underpinnings of that <laughs> I feel kind of weird about that now but um yeah, yeah. but no it it was really cool seeing Bishop in this film being an android and when she like first recognizes she has that like PTSD moment like you didn't tell me that there was an android on board and then he tries to explain how oh yeah those old order models are really twitchy for reasons and, uh, it's impossible that the old for me to harm a person. And she's she's still clearly you know traumatized, but he ends up just through you know doing the right thing and and acting the way he's supposed to throughout the film, proving to her that he is you know better than the last uh, android that she encountered with, and he's well, it's almost the right like person. She- it, yeah. it's almost like she's bigoted against androids. Well, kind of, no, it's it, you know, it, it's a hundred percent justified in her case because her experience well, with an no, android was. She was she was literally almost killed and raped by one, so well, it's a hundred percent understandable. But you know, Bishop proved himself to be not that, and he ended up being very helpful. And I love that subversion of the expectation where you kind of expected him to betray her at the end, and then he does. But then it, then he comes back because he couldn't be on the platform, so that was like a little bit of a one-two punch. Um, and yeah. even after he even after him getting torn in half, he saves Newt from not going into the air uh, vent. So. Oh yeah, I I mean that again is like I mean subversion is kind of some you almost know, like almost... James Cameron would use that in a certain sequel. Oh, <laughs> no well, spoilers. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the thing about subversion in terms of like film criticism and commentary, I mean we we hear about subversion almost as like an in joke or like a meme you know it's yeah. like oh it's what a twist or, wow they you know what a twist they didn't do the thing i thought they would <laughs> yeah or you know i mean the the sort of ryan johnson kind of thing but i mean this it, this does subversion but it, it has a narrative sense. purpose it has a narrative purpose not only does it have a narrative purpose but it makes sense mm-hmm. it it it's not just that they're doing it because they can but they're doing it to serve a purpose, and it makes sense that that could be a possibility. It's not coming completely out of thin air. Um, you know, I, I mean, we've talked about the the performances. My God, Bill Paxton is incredible. Uh, Sigourney Weaver. Uh, I, I love the actor who plays this like sleazy, yes. uh, you know, Wayland Utney. Even you know. his character, like, I, nor it's such a common cliche to have that kind of sleazeball coward that kind of backstabs oh, yeah. everybody else in oh, the yeah. end. But he's just such a perfect that character that I can't be mad no, at it. He like is. he's so perfect. I, I I love that pathetic little yelp he makes right before the alien kills him. It was so satisfying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> get him. That might be my <laughs> only, that might be my only nitpick is I really wanted to see what happened to him. I, mean, I it's yeah, a I mean it, just, it, it 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 shows like him reacting and then the alien coming in and there's just the sound effect. But you know your imagination can do wonders with that. Yeah. That's oh, he yeah. got penetrated. That's um that's some tasty schadenfreude right there and i mean another (laughs) thing that i love about this film is you know for the amount of cast that we have in this film and and the you know amount of characters um each one of them gets their own moment 
which is weird because you know you think about films like this and you think about how that like almost like so many of these films will set up a big cast of characters and then they're not really defined i mean not just in the sense of like their personalities but like we don't get enough screen time with them you know like this this gives each of those characters just enough screen time we know who they are they each get their moment i think about uh gorman you know who's introduced as this like cowardly sort of you know rookie uh you know uh officer who's kind of commanding the troops and you think oh my god how can he do this how is he you know how is he <laughs> i'm sorry i'm reading the uh discord chat now but uh no, <laughs> guys you're stop thinking, it how is, how is he going to you know you can't believe that he got them into this mess and then you know towards the end he gets to sacrifice himself he gets to have that moment you're such an and asshole sir you, yeah, no, and it, it makes so much sense, and it subverts your expectations, and it it makes you feel that much more attachment to these characters, where I think a lot of films would take the easy way out, and it's just like, ah, oh, they're dispensable alien food. And, and, you know, maybe they have their own personality, but they're just kind of unceremoniously killed off screen because it's edgy or whatever. It just, it feels so well earned. Yeah. I also want to go back to uh, so I was getting to a point about you know, you know Bishop kind of being uh, fulfilling the character arc of the android in the last film, showing that you know androids aren't just these uh, malicious kind of uh, people; they can be uh, you know a good asset when you're in dire straits. But also, it shows a lot of strength on um, Ripley's part to show, to show the growth that she's able to overcome the trauma that she experienced, and you know face against this uh, threat and save uh you know newt and work together with bishop who uh is you know a person that she has every right to be you know terrified of and i think I, that coming together is just so beautiful and cathartic and that's why when so, she, you know su well, what was she suits up in that you know um in that machine and says get away from her you bitch everybody you know in the in the theater would go crazy for over that line and it's it's so, it's such a cathartic uh, i line. think it does pass the the bechtel test as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes hey it okay, actually does I, yeah i did kind of i did kind of ramble there on my last point and i apologize someone was making fun of me in the chat for <laughs> my pronunciation of wayland mutiny uh so whale and yutani i think is how they put it yeah it's whale and yutani do they it's, say it, that in the uh, i don't yeah, know it's, it's a fictional organization so you, you know, know what i'm talking about tomato tomato uh arkansas <laughs> speaking of which uh the anti-capitalist themes are back at full force like the idea of like, oh, yeah. wanting to preserve these aliens and bring them back is referenced yet again. Even like my friend Matt mentioned in the comment section, speaking of the comment section, just the horrifying you know, reality of the main character trying to explain this situation. The business has just treated it like, a, like another day at the office. It's like, all right, we're going to take these off your funds. Uh, you know, it's going to be a minor setback for us. So consider yourself lucky. Like they're just so casual and calm about it. That it's kind of a trope nowadays in movies, but it's like you said with Alien, Stephen, where this film is so influential and so referenced to pop culture and so alluded to that it's just left it's such an impact in society that you can't even blame it if it is derivative in certain elements because it, 
it made those sort of developments a reality. No, a hundred percent. Yeah, and I I agree. Uh, what else can we say? I mean, my God, this That's is the great. best action movie I've ever seen. I have uh, nitpicks, but I don't know if you guys want to hear them or not. <laughs> I don't. Oh, oh, I mean... <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, just a couple hey, of things. Like, don't you? Do you think it's kind of weird that? You know, the scene where it's like, okay, you can't use these kinds of bullets because it could blow up the reactor. So they dump out the magazines in the middle of the alien nest. Why don't you go back to the recon vehicle and then dump out your magazines? Why'd you have well, to swap I mean, your that... magazines in the middle of dangerous yeah. enemy territory? They're not swapping You know out what? I, 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 I well, had, they're taking I out their magazines. But yeah, they're probably all fake, but that still takes time. I knew that this would come up. Um, because it always does, and 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 I, and I applaud you for it. Something to gripe about, but I, I remember thinking, oh, there's going to be a possible nitpick moment coming up here when she first encounters the alien queen, which we haven't talked about. How much of a Stan awesome motherfucking Winston that is, Stan My Winston. Boy. Um, also, that was something that um, James Cameron himself conceived of. A, 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 apart from H.R. Giger, he was thinking about calling him up initially or he was thinking retroactively maybe i should have like worked with him but he found out or he heard that he's very difficult to work with and he it was his own ego as a director that he said well i only need one more creature than what he already had and i kind of want to do my own thing with it and i have a pretty good idea in mind but i thought they did an absolutely excellent job designing that creature she is such a gorgeous you know, of, she, 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 she's just a force to be reckoned with um Bitch is the most apt uh, descriptor for. But, she is um, one crazy bitch. It, 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 it was when she was, uh, you know, she she already threatens her with the uh, flamethrower, and as she's walking away, she could. I, I was thinking, oh, she could just walk away from this. Like, why did she start, you know, like burn, burning them up with, if that's going to cause more trouble? But it's because she noticed that uh, one of the eggs were hatching, and then there was a uh, an alien creature on the wall. She just kind of gives her this like, like, oh, you fucked up. And then she starts, and and then she starts shooting up and, um, you know, lighting it all on fire. So, yeah, that yeah, was it. That would be nitpick turned out to be totally justified with a reaction shot. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that didn't bug me at all. And you know, it's I like they, they, they even like many. even like the fact that she goes back. It's like okay, at least she's going back for a character we've grown emotionally attached to, and she's grown emotionally attached to. The child actor isn't the best in the world but doesn't really need to be because like she's shocked and traumatized so she doesn't really need to moan all that much uh, beyond just screaming no, for and help so it didn't I, I thought much. she did a perfectly fine job in this and it was she very was believable good enough. Yeah. Uh, they, they, I think James Cameron did a good job directing her to make her look like traumatized without actually traumatizing her like mm -hmm. in that one close up shot of her where she has dirt in her face and uh, Ripley's wiping the dirt off that to so uh, you know connect yeah. with her that's a beautiful moment between them and she, in order to stop her from looking into Ripley's eyes, like, because she's supposed to be, like, off into space, he basically just put a dot on the wall and told her to just, you know, just look at that. <laughs> <laughs> and well, then that's I mean, what I, I have thought, to do. I thought she gave a, a great performance, I mean, for the yeah. part that she was playing, and especially yeah, in for context part, of yeah. her age. I mean, I will say this. The scene where... You know, Newt, this little 10-year-old girl, is in the water of this sort of underground yes. ventilation system. And a, that's the best we shot of the movie. See it, we see it before she does, and she turns around, and there's this giant alien 
just so, towering no, over her. You're missing important detail. We first we see the tail come out, oh, and that yeah. is like the perfect build up to its reveal, because it just highlights yeah. how big it is. Or it's just like it's that sense of scale that you know something like Jurassic Park nailed, where it's like, wow, like that's just its tail. Like imagine the full creature. Like it leaves enough to the imagination. Oh, it's one of the most horrifying shots I've seen in in I a movie. Agree. I mean, for a movie that is marketed as an action movie and as like extreme and high octane that is a genuinely terrifying horror moment oh yeah, yeah I, I, I took a screenshot of that and shared it in the thing when i was watching it just because like that's still an iconic shot and i love the little bit of catch light that she has in her eye even I, like it's such yeah. a beautifully framed image and it's it's iconic for a reason and i oh, thought she I, did a, I thought she did a terrific job even though the actress that played her didn't pursue acting as a career afterwards i still thought that that was a very memorable performance of hers i kind of want to see uh her come back into a like tk kwan and everything everywhere all at once yeah come on everything uh, everywhere we we we, we will get to that film that i was gonna i was just gonna mention that that's another film that feels like a theater experience and it feels like yeah i don't want to spoil too much about that we'll we'll get to it that's all i'll say um Anyways, uh, not much else to add. Uh, the funny thing is, I've seen this more than the original Alien, despite the fact that I like Alien more. Because Alien, you know, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, but I'm well aware it's kind of like a slow burn horror movie, so it's not quite for everybody. No, this film is absolutely for everybody. You can watch it in just about any mood. Uh, it's fantastic. One of the best action movies ever made. And it, it's and one I'm of the few me- movies that blends action horror very well, and I'm giving it a 9.3 out of 10. I'm going to give this a 10 out of 10. Ooh, boy. Nice. What, why a 9.3? And, oh, yeah, why, because I'm stuck between a 9 and a 9.5, so fuck it, 9.3. Oh. I mean, it's what I gave I the mean, original Jurassic Park. I mean, okay. I mean, come on. Okay. It's higher than a 9. 9.3 9. 9. 9. 9. is an excellent 6. score. I, 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 I'm going to make Daryl happy and give this a 9.6. Yeah. I only, yeah. I, I only dox the points because uh, it's working off of what Ridley Scott and Dan Bannon and those guys had established. But man, what a hell of a follow-up sequel. This is definitely the more rewatchable of the two. I mean, I, I've rewatched the both of them quite a bit over the years, but you really have to be in a certain mood to fully sit in and appreciate the first one where this one it's a little more accessible uh but it has those heartfelt moments and this is something that you know if, if i had kids growing up i'd watch i i'd show them this you know as spooky as scary as it is i i think when you have like a child insert character it makes it uh more accessible in that way i don't know what it is but oh, no, that's true that's yeah. a big reason why you know alludes to jurassic park being so relatable because of those child characters that you could just attach yourself to mm. at a young age. Uh, all right, going from and, and I only dox yeah. a point just because of all the films that have derivatively tried to copy this. I, I'm thinking of uh, fucking uh, Pandorum and uh, Prometheus, yeah, which is not an official alien film. It's a clear <laughs> it deliberate knockoff. <laughs> yeah, it, well, just it a is very made by Ripley fiction. Scott. I think it's a it's kind of a, a reimagining of the world or something. I don't know. I haven't seen it sure um yeah. but <laughs> ah. well, well, we'll get to when we get to it in the next film uh, that'll, 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 yeah, that'll be xenomorphin 2 when we look at the uh when we look at the other alien movies that all right 
don't that shouldn't have just been two. <laughs> but we have to deal with them anyways. Going from one yeah. shit show to another, Alien Free, or as I like to call it, the perfect documentary on why you should never make a film for Fox. It took four years for them to accept a script for this, including versions of a script that included uh, a wooden planet with a wooden satellite and monks. A version of the script where uh, Hex and... Sorry, is it Hex? Michael Bean's character? I, I keep getting his name mixed up. Yes, yeah, Hex. Hex was Michael Bean. Yeah, sorry, Hex and Lance Henriksen, Bishop, Survive, and there's a version of the script that's basically like body horror and very bloody. There's a version that Steven mentioned. Took him four years to finally get down to a nitty-gritty script, and it wasn't even finished yet, and... We'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> so this is only free. Uh, Ripley is sent to a prison planet where Newt and Hicks are both killed off off screen. Bishop is kind of torn land. in half and it crash lands onto this prison planet full of bald British people that have about as much personality as you'd expect. And it's basically about Ripley, you know, coming to terms with her situation, dealing with a new alien threat, coming to terms with the loss of her loved ones, and the fact that there's a, now a new alien, an alien queen, brewing inside of her. Uh, now, I watched this film once before, and now I watched the editor's cut, because David Fincher refuses to believe that there's a version of this film that he could call his own at this point. There were so many rewrites, so many reshoots, and the studio was just angry and pissed off of David Fincher the whole time, because he's a perfectionist, and they actually wanted to get shit done. And I watched the editor's cut this time, and I can probably say, I hate this fucking movie! I fucking wow. hate this movie! This might be one of the worst movies we've talked about. I Last Jedi, people said Last Jedi was the most insulting film ever made. Fuck you. Give me a handwritten apology, because this film is the most insulting franchise film I've ever seen. I was so angry at this oh, film. Oh, thank God. It was one of the worst. This is so... I couldn't believe the, some of the writing choices. I, it looks like shit. It feels like shit. It makes okay. you feel shit. I fucking hated this film. Right. This might be worse. I, 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 than I, 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 guess I, I guess I have to come into defense of this, because I know both of you uh, hate this thing, which... Really? I will agree. The so the whole approach and direction of this that the, the fact the studio wanted to cash in on a third movie. So the, the that whole approach to this is guaranteed this should be misfire from the start. Like this is starting from the wrong place. Oh for sure. And that is absolutely a fatal flaw of this thing, unquestionable. I have to say the opening credits are 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 an art piece of an of an and of itself. So it's almost a microcosm for good music. You know yeah. what the studio is doing here, where um, hey, all those characters that you grew to love in the last film that was so successful, fuck you, they're all dead. Um, and it's so it's 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 shown in such a beautiful nihilistic hard cut way. It's just like this slow atmosphere you're familiar with, and then it just hard cut shows. Oh, there's an alien egg on tip. Oh, this uh, face hugger is going up on uh, Newt's thing. And hey, everyone's dead, and Hicks is all disfigured, and that's that's how the movie starts out. It reminds me of uh, reminds me of the end of Evangelion, the way that movie starts out. <laughs> Except that <laughs> just movie yeah, isn't actually. I'm gonna it. I'm gonna stop you here because here's the thing: <laughs> the, the studio... I'm not saying this is good. I'm saying it's very evident of what of what this film is. It, it perfectly I'm establishes the tone sure. and the tone of I shit. I don't think I don't think this film knows what it is. Oh no! Here's the thing: it's so imbalanced tone. 
Fincher says the studio didn't trust him enough. They wanted to compromise his vision. The studio says they were dealing with a cocky, arrogant, you know, hotshot tyrant who wouldn't. Which they wanted. They hired him for that reason. They hired him because they thought he could rush for the project. They hired him because up until that point, he had done a bunch of Madonna music videos and they thought he was competent enough and they could push him around enough. Here's the thing. This movie, and and I'm going to take objection to the fact that that David Fincher has disowned this thing, because here's the thing, like, this has David Fincher written all over it. There is so much of this that feels like bad parody of what people talk about when they talk about Dave and Fincher. It Dave feels Fincher. like he just hasn't honed in on the style yet. Like, it feels like it's just I don't edgy even for the know sake if of it. Sounds like... This is like what people... This is like what people talk about when they talk about Quentin Tarantino in Death Proof, or, or like they talk about... Uh, um, fuck, I'm, I'm drawing a, a blank here, but like... A movie that exists solely to just jerk off the director because he's indulging his worst tendencies. Well, well here, here's the thing. This is a film he that you know, it, the though. studio wanted to push and wanted to get made. And David Fincher wanted to do a feature film project just to, just to get out there, I think. Like, you know, he got on the radar because he did this commercial for Apple and it was cinematic. And, you know, David Fincher was pretty young at this time. I think he was, like, not even 30 years old yet. Yeah, um, and Yeah, man. And, you know, of course he's going to say yes to doing an alien film, thinking yeah. where, he is, where he is in his career at this point, because he wants to get these kind of big budgets, and he wants to do it. Art- and you can see notes of him having some artistic flair and having some sense of direction here and him trying to stamp a vision. Like, there's a noble effort and attempt here. But there is absolutely and arguably like a lot of tension from the studios trying to push and pull it to be something else. And, you know, he again, he, he's fighting for it to be something and it just wasn't working. And that's why I think he properly disowns this thing, because it is a absolute hot mess of a film. But I do like appreciating the efforts here at the very least to try to make something I, interesting. I don't. I think it would have been better <laughs> if David Fincher had just walked off set and told them to figure it out on their I own. I mean, that's basically this what happened. When it got to the editing process, that's basically what happened. Of a film. It, 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 kind of going off what, what Ian was talking about, yes, there was a version of this film where Michael Bean, had, uh, Michael Bean would come over and kind of take over the mantle from Ripley, you know, and we were going to have this kind of like Cold War allegory, and that would have been cool. There was a version of this film that was drawn up by Eric Red, uh, one of my favorite writers who did uh, Near Dark, which also starred Bill Paxton around this time. Eric Red kind of envisioned this like prison planet. There was this like art house wooden planet thing, which I think was. The way that I read it, it almost sounded like an A24 kind of Which script. A it lot was of like, people think like that's the legit Alien Free. Like there's even it was an audiobook like, of it with the wood, Michael Bean. Like there was and, this, yeah, this, yeah, no, there was like a cult of this wooden satellite, and it was going to be very art house. And the studio was like, "We can't do anything with this. This is too, you know, this doesn't have too out there. Uh, commercial yeah. viability." And so. Mm-hmm. The, the studio basically came in and they were like, well, okay, let's take all of these ideas, jam them together into a somewhat finished script. Yeah. 
Here's, um, also... here's the thing about David Fincher, too. Like, there's an article I read in the Silver City magazine where it's, they asked directors, like, how much, how many takes should a scene take normally? And most directors gave, like, you know, 5 to ten, 20 takes. Like, that's the range of how many takes that should take to shoot a scene. What's David Fincher's answer? 142. He is not, like, a quick be there and done director he is likes to take his I time mean, he likes I to make shots as perfect as possible like Honestly, and studios didn't okay. like that they just want to rush him out the door this is my this is my argument for this film it's not really for the film itself like the end product of the film it's a shit show there are some cool elements in it and i and i can see where he's trying to make something interesting of this but i see this the way i see uh, David Lynch's adaptation of Dune in his filmography. This was like a necessary big budget failure for him to try to take on and to tr and to help him define and realize the type of films he wants to make. Because by taking on this project and for it to go wrong in all the ways that he didn't want it to, I think he would come back and better define, okay, these are the type of films that I want to do that I want to hone in on. Like this was him trying to do a franchise film and he found out afterwards or in the process that franchise films is not what he wants to do. I'm going to make my own kind of smaller budget thrillers. And then we get films like seven and fight club. And so I feel like this film was like a necessary failure for him to start his career with for sure. Cause that helped him define the type of films that he would be better at making. And it was the same thing with uh, David Lynch and Dune like that film was such an overly ambitious project that he was hired on to that he realized that maybe he wasn't the right director for, but he wanted to get, you know, his hands into a, into a project with that kind of scale. And since then, he defined himself better as a director with the type of films he wants to make. So well, that's, more, the, that, that, that's the value that I would argue for this film. Here's the thing. Um, I, I'm not a fan of any director that does that kind of like Stanley Kubrick thing where they're like, ah, oh, we have to shoot 500 shots or whatever. Like, I think a lot of that is just kind of pretentious blank. But here's the thing. It's like David Fincher, yes, he made which two of those are some of my favorite films of all time um, or at least in the case of Gone Girl probably one of my favorite films of the last decade um, he made Zodiac which I was not as crazy about as everyone else was um, Zodiac to me was like what you guys criticized uh, Michael Mann's Manhunter for it feels like a very well-polished, elevated crime procedural that you would see on late-night TV. I... And, yeah. you know... I still, I still the, enjoyed that film. No, I mean, it's okay, but, like, the thing that I guess I'm getting at is David Fincher is so much more uh, cut out for those kind of dark, atmospheric thrillers. Yeah, I listen and, to movies, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're almost, like, I mean, I don't want to say low budget. That's not the word I'm looking for, but small scale. Yeah, you know, kind of like a student film in part. In the, yeah. You're not in the confines of space and this vast, you know, uh, uh, abyss of, you know, all these kind of like high concept things. And that's fine. And I understand that that may not be his forte. And I understand that there was studio interference. And I understand that the studio thought there was, you know, David Fincher interference. So what, what I tried to do when I was watching this film and when I was writing the review or my thoughts on this, I had to think in terms of 
let's take Ripley out of this, okay? Let's take, just imagine this is a directorial debut. It has no connection whatsoever to any of the previous Alien films, okay? Let's just pretend for a moment that Ellen Ripley is not Ellen Ripley. She's just generic space woman, uh, and she washes up on this, uh, you know, prison prison planet of monks. Which, by the way, there's a there's a <laughs> there's a scene where it's revealed that on this prison, uh, maximum security prison planet, they don't have any guns. Which I is a have a reason for that. Yeah, that's a requirement. Yeah, Gordy because... Weaver was yeah. very anti-gun yeah. uh, and, and very strong sort of uh, regulations uh, politically on on firearms. So that was kind of her contribution to the film. She was also a producer, so... Yes. So, okay, all of those things aside, it's like, if I'm looking at this film as just a, like you said, student film, kind of like A24 sort of director debut, would I still enjoy it? The answer is no. No, I wouldn't either. <laughs> that's because it's not what it is. This is no, a no, no, studio no, I mean, hodgepodging I... a couple half-baked script ideas together and getting a director no, no, to sign on. And he takes I the understand. job because he wants to get into feature films. Yeah, like This was no, a necessary failure that, for him what to I'm take saying, on. Okay, I understand that. But what I'm saying is, even if this wasn't a giant slap in the face to everything that I loved about the last two films... I'm saying if this was a completely unrelated project, I would still hate this film because it is yeah. ugly. It looks like shit. None of these characters have any personality. Yes, we talked about the thank last, you. We, we talked about the last two films where every single character is like summed up in a couple of seconds, a couple of lines, and they have their own like defining moment and their death means something. This is like a step backwards in the worst possible way, where not only do I not know who any of these people getting killed are half the time, I don't care who they are. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much openly established throughout several times during the film's runtime that all of these characters are murderers or rapists. And I'm like, why do I care if they're getting picked off? Well, here's the thing, like, that's such a great place for drama. That's such a great place for character development. Like, maybe some of them were thrown away for the wrong reason. Maybe some of them, you know, are trying to condone for their crimes, for religion, which is touched on, but they don't really go anywhere with all any of those ideas. Uh, we haven't no, even talked even about the fact that they're all bald and all British, and there were several scenes where I said to my mom, I was watching with her, I don't know who's who. I le- I legitimately don't know yeah. who's who. Like that's well, and such... there's even yeah. a moment where they're they're like, okay, but like, what is this religion that you guys worship? And it's like, ah, it's just some Christian fundamentalist thing. I, I, I feel like there was like something there, like it's satirizing religion and how like these terrible people try to use religion to justify their actions, but it doesn't go anywhere with that it doesn't have anything i don't know what they're trying to say about religion just the fact that they're insisting that they're talking about it okay like that's not enough this is like edgy fan fiction this feels like a 14 year old who thought this was deep tried to cobble something together which here's the thing i mean you can't necessarily blame david fincher for it because he didn't write the thing yeah exactly i gotta keep in mind this is somebody else's script 
that was also he rewritten. He did rewrite large portions of this. There and were there are other people who rewrote it too, though. The, 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 you can only do so much when you're trying to polish a turd. Well, I understand that, but, That's you know, he did do extensive rewrites, and I understand there's like ten different writers on this thing by the time it's all said and done, but at the same time, it's like, I, I don't know. I mean, you open the film with the the Newt, the character that we all love, and they make a point to deliberately like bring out this huge knife and cut open her chest yeah and what the so fuck was that mean spirited like stop oh. she's already dead literally oh and better yet yeah. that's when we get our lovely like head honcho and his dumb assistant who is just like oh he's not stepping in place right he's not saying things right he's an idiot get it and i'm like are we cracking jokes during this brutal child autopsy I'm like what the fuck's wrong with you why are you doing I also that? Wanna, I also <laughs> want to bring up the fact that they make a point to cut open the dead child as as awful and as, you know, cold and nihilistic it's as possible. It's trying way too hard. But they, no, no, no. But they do that in the first ten minutes because they're afraid that her corpse is harboring this alien. And then, like, not even 20 minutes later into the film, they suspect that Ripley has an alien in her, and they just do a med scan? Yeah. Why couldn't you do that? Yeah, <laughs> and, and here's the thing, like, it, it just, it's <laughs> so, I, something people don't talk about, which I'm surprised about, is that what made Aliens such a great sequel is that you don't even need to watch the first Alien to enjoy it. You get get no, attached to no. all these new characters, all these new Marines. You get attached to Newt. You can see it with a set of fresh eyes and still care about what's going on. This film is so reliant on your nostalgia for aliens and everything Ripley has gone through that if you haven't seen either of those films before, you just get no enjoyment out of this. You're just like, wait, who is this child? Why are they doing this? Oh, her? Who the heck is this well, AI guy? Why do they know each other? Like, I don't know. Like, it's so dependent on your nostalgia from those two films that it just doesn't work as its own piece. Well, and it would be fine if it was relying on your nostalgia, but for it to rely solely on an audience of people who have nostalgia for the first two, and yeah. then to deliberately spit in the face of them at the same time. It's so bizarre. It is so pointlessly mean-spirited i mean the thing that also bugged me and i mean it, it, it's always like the little things i know we're talking about nitpicks you know that you had oh, they say several it. times throughout this film that there are 25 prisoners on this planet yes but there's also a scene where at the point of this scene coming up five people have already died Okay, yeah. so five people have already died on screen. Ten people die, according to one of the characters, and there's eleven left. <laughs> like, yeah. now, I, no, I can see conceptually that they were trying to start off. Well, it's like they want just Ripley to be the only one alive, which is kind of how Aliens started. But it 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 undoes everything that Aliens has no, built. No, no, I'm just point. saying this film can't keep its story straight and oh, again i understand yeah. there's studio interference and 10 different cooks in the kitchen but it's like you would think that the like minor you know sort of just like pass over on the script would figure out that you're telling me uh, you know multiple times this is how many people are on this planet 
and you have exceeded that amount by killing them, and now you still have a greater amount left. I mean, yeah. I know we're nitpicking, but this film deserves it. Hey. This is the <laughs> most corporate, cash-grab, soulless, Boring. This feels like a film yeah. that would be financed by Wayland Utney. This is no, it, it, exactly like it is funny how like the first two films are so critical of the corporate interference, and then the third one is such a product of it. I, yeah, the, I know. the acting is horrendous. I, I, I mean, acting's like Sigourney, one okay thing about it. I think I she was still good. I, I think she was still good. Weaver wishes she could be anywhere else but on this fucking I, set. I got well, that here's vibe, the thing. but she, I also she, thought she, she could have, yeah. she could have phoned this in, but the fact that she gave it her all despite the fact that it was a shit show, and she was I also a producer on it. No, no, no. Her all. So she, many of her she is. deliveries are like, she's whispering and it's mumbly, and it's That's like... That's just really that trying. sound ending. <laughs> he's, he's, he's really trying to make this work, and I give her credit for that. Yeah, I think I the acting is the one okay thing about this movie, but what they have to work with is pretty horrendous, <laughs> in fairness. They have absolutely nothing to work with. We talk about the characters being really bland, and it takes itself so seriously at points, but then, like I said, there's like the head honcho who literally has a dumb sidekick, like a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon. Like, that element was so goofy. Like, are we leaning into dark humor now? Like, it, the film just has no idea what it wants to be. Does it want to be, like, the first alien movie where it's, like, this, you know, slow burn, single alien creature, single survivor story once again? Does it want to be, like, its own nihilistic take on, like, religion and anti-corporatism? Or does it want to be, like, you know, kind of like aliens, like this ragtag group of weirdos, like, getting together to stop a friend? Like, I don't know. Like, it doesn't know what it wants to be. It does feel like it. there's ten cooks in in the kitchen. Like, even if you didn't know about the behind the scenes, you just watch it and feel like something's wrong. Like, something just feels wrong. Something's up with this project. Even if you didn't know anything about the behind the scenes, something is just iffy in the alien. Holy shit. No, I that, that was oh, yeah, definitely let's the talk about feeling it. that I had going through these when I was uh, younger. The first two, I definitely rewatched more than the... Uh, third one and the fourth one uh which we'll get it to we, we, we're, we're chatting a little bit uh <laughs> in the chat about matrix resurrection sorry alien resurrections but it's funny the matrix takes the same title uh there's mm. some funny parallels there but um no like you can definitely tell that there's something off here and um oh there was a point i was getting I'm to i'm just gonna, gonna i'm gonna be honest this is a film that i <sighs> I struggled to think of one positive thing to say about it, honestly. The acting, there, there is one thread yeah. here that doesn't make any sense to me. What's Why that? is she being coy about what happened to Newton? What she be? What she suspicious? Like you know, she says we gotta we gotta do an autopsy on Newton. I need to be sure how she died, and she doesn't explain why, and she holds why? off on explaining. Yeah. Like she was so gung ho adamant to expose this you know alien creature because it was such a direct visceral threat to her and she was wanting to make sure that everybody knew about it and then she's suddenly being you know coy about sharing why information is this suddenly that makes film? no sense why, why is this the third film in a row where people are doubting her like has she not proved herself by well this is like an isolated person planet like they have no idea what an alien is or... <laughs> i mean but yeah also, but I yeah mean, that element was so stupid and there's another scene in the movie if we're gonna nitpick it where 
characters just act in stupid ways to build tension and to for the sake of the structure of the movie and nothing else where like she has the baby inside of her and she made a deal with the preacher to kill the kill her as soon as they kill the alien and she's like uh hey stay here i want to die with the alien as it gets buried at lead he's like no we had a deal you gotta go up the ladder and i'll kill myself i'm like what but you said you'd kill her after the alien was dead you think the lead will kill the alien therefore the alien will die with her which is the perfect plan like she gets what she wants why do you think the lead won't kill her do you have a copy of the script do you somehow see the plot ahead of you like what do you do that makes no sense it's so stupid because they just set up the, her epic I, sacrifice I at the end of the movie it, it, yeah, we had, we had we had to get to the Jesus sim, sim, symbolism oh, for falling the vat of lava. Why did that guy go after the soldiers? They have guns. Why do you think like, oh fuck you? I'm gonna I, beat you with a pipe. <laughs> I, I I love I love the Mondo poster for Alien Three where it shows just her like ah uh, it's 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 like the uh, it's like the cover of uh, Radiohead's The Bends, you know of, uh, of that one you know dummy. Yeah, uh, it makes it look like actual art. It's it's honestly impressive the way they were able to pull that through. Uh, and also, I, I, I feel like the opening of this film and the ending of this film was very apt for what should have happened to the rest of the franchise if they had died here. <laughs> Jesus Did anyone I mean? also notice that the uh, Dylan, I think is his name, the the black guy who is a, a self-proclaimed rapist murderer, but he's also a pastor, I guess, for some reason. Um, did anyone notice that he says... I mean, that just seems very thing. fitting, doesn't it? Sorry. Well, no, no, it's funny, but <laughs> it's funny because he says... Throughout the course of the film, he, you know, he, he, like there's one moment where he says, "Okay, well, you know, she's, you know, we can't trust that guy. He's an idiot. We got to trust her. She seems to know what she's doing." What just? And then that? it's literally not even five minutes later. The next scene, he's talking to someone else, and he's like, "Why should we trust her? You just suggested her. To you just her. suggested her to talk and." Yeah, if we're going to go off of plot holes, there's a scene where it's like, uh, you know, the dumb sidekick character gets called 85. It's like, stop calling me 85. Stop calling me this. And she's like, well, what, why doesn't he like being called 85? And he's like, well, that's because that's his IQ rating and he doesn't like to be reminded that he's stupid. It's like, okay, 85 is not below average. It's low average, but it's not below average. Below average is like below 70. And it's like, okay, you're slightly less intelligent, but... It's not like mentally handicapped. It's not like, oh, I'm going to bully you like a bunch of five-year-olds. To... <laughs> you should be offended by it. That was like another weird thing that bugged me and another weird well, oversight. I mean, like, you yeah, couldn't every... just Google, like, you couldn't just look up in a book, like, <laughs> IQ ratings or something like no, that. You I want mean, to do any research for a movie? Have Google <laughs> in the okay, well, that's why I said red. I said red. I fixed it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, average IQ is between 85 and 115, so yeah. he's actually on the lower side yeah, of Yeah, also that. these prisoners <laughs> somehow have that IQ? I don't think so. And the music. The opening music is so good. Like, that's one of the few positive things I could find about this movie. The rest of the soundtrack is fucking awful. That rock music that plays while Ripley is, like, almost getting raped? Oh, what God. the hell was that? No, 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 I, what was that? I, yeah, the, that, that really stood out. That was almost that? as abrupt as Ramstein and in, in, uh, in Oh, I, mean, I fought that. Yeah. 
Oh, but but um, I, I oh, I, to, I totally forgot to talk about the soundtrack in the last movie. I'm just gonna say this quick. Um, they were using like synthesizers like early on this uh, this Fairlight system, which was like an early digital sampler where it was literally like a computer-based system where they had samples. This was also how they created the soundtrack for Terminator 2. Um, and there's some interesting facts there. But um, the people that had it, this wasn't like industri industry standard at the time. The composers literally had it in their, in their living room in their house, and they were creating sound effects and, uh, um, you know, synthesizer noises in their living room for it. And, you know, they were saying it was like making a home movie. Um, and then I think they did a pretty good job good job with the score here i think the score and the cinematography are two positive things about this film if anything um, i score, i disagree especially. i think the cinematography looks like shit well the cinematography I mean, is fine but the visual effects of the alien okay i gotta talk about the alien deliberately quick, going they, they, they were they were really they were trying to go home back to the original alien in terms of the look of it yeah they had hired they had hired the lens. this is so brown and ugly I, I well, that, no, that I mean, that, that's literally that, that that was literally something they did in the last sequence. In the last sequence, uh, they were trying to get this wide shot of her gonna hop into the lava, but um, the scaffolding, everything was too visible in the shot. So David Fincher literally just smudged grease on the lens so that <laughs> it would look like a vat of lava and not like scaffolding with lights. Ooh. That's literally so. That's yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, also, wow. the alien. So it was originally going to be a cow. In an alien suit, and they couldn't get the animal to cooperate. Then, the studio forced them to rewrite it as a dog. And the editor's cut, it's still the bull. But in the director's cut, they make a dog turn to the alien. And so they tried to put a dog in an alien suit, and the dog also didn't cooperate. So they were like, "I've got a great idea. Let's put a CGI a sock puppet into the scenery." And it, it will look perfect. Yeah, it looks ten times smaller than the other alien. It literally looks green at times. And all of the tension is taken away because it's just running in, like, open light. And <laughs> the lighting doesn't help yeah, it, it at all. Really early, like, it was really early CGI it like and it shows. Shit. I mean, it's, Terminator it's 2 came out the same. Terminator process, 2 came out but... a year beforehand. And the CGI in that looks way better. Wow. Yeah. yeah. What a fucking mess uh i have nothing else to say about this disastrous piece of shit the last jedi is no longer the most insulting franchise film and this might just be the worst alien film in the franchise which is saying something because there's three other this alien might films be that didn't one of exist. the worst films i've ever seen this, this might be what the worst film i've talked about on the podcast wait till you see alien resurrections that film i like better <laughs> i actually unironically actually, like that film better the underwater sequence in that is unironically great Okay, I, I'll, I'll give you that. I, yeah. It's been a while since I've come back to it. it it's different. I, yeah, no, Daryl, I, I won't stop. It's better than Alien 3. I cannot imagine anything being more insulting it's than less this. Boring. This is one of the, especially coming off of Aliens, which I absolutely loved, this is like a giant middle finger. I truly hate this film. So <laughs> I cannot think of a positive thing to say. What's your rate, um, Stephen? Oh, uh, I, I, I'm gonna give this. Like, can I give this a negative rating? My God, yeah, this hey, is. Devin did that for King Kong versus Godzilla, so go for it. Yeah, negative ten. This is horrendous. <laughs> this uh, is I'm not gonna go that low. A zero. Yeah. I'm not gonna go that low. Um, 
Pathfinder was slightly worse because it's more boring, and I, I don't know what the excuse was for that film. Lots of people love this movie, by the way. Lots of people genuinely think, like, it's a misunderstood masterpiece. And not to discredit your opinions, guys, but I'm just trying to understand it. So I was really hoping one of you guys would just love it so I could see what I was missing. I, 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 I have a lukewarm feeling of it. Like, I don't think it's, I don't how, think it's amazing. How comfortable is the fence you're sitting on right now, as you always say? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm starting to feel like a little bit of soreness on the one side. It's it's a bit um you know you know there's, there's definitely a lack of circulation going on here. So I'm not doing that great. The, but, uh, uh, it's 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 getting kind of numb. So like the 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 the, the pain is mostly over. But I'm still <laughs> yeah. not feeling good. Uh, two I'm out of ten for me. It. Two out of ten. Fuck this movie. I don't know I, I'm I'm, is, I'm but... gonna go a little higher. I'm gonna give it a three point four. <laughs> hey, half of a 6.9. Nice. Hey, yeah. I really wanted to love this movie, but I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. Like, it's... halfway from the movie, I was just like, if I wasn't watching this for the podcast, I would have turned off by now. Like, I couldn't handle yeah. it, man. I, I, well, I mean, especially... even as a kid, this is not one that I revisited often. I, I definitely saw the other two a lot more. Like, it, it, I had all four of them on VHS, including the, the fourth one. And this was definitely uh, the one of the ones I came back to the least. Uh, the second one was probably the most watched of that bunch. Yeah, I mean, and to remind everyone, I think we all watched the the editor's cut, which is supposed to be the better version of this. Film. It just made it longer. Well, I, I oh. was watching it with commentary, and it's just very um, telling. When well, David Fincher is not even part of it because he wants <laughs> nothing to do with this film. Understandably, I the think the editor Alan is the one. The, 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 it, yeah, he, he he all but Alan Smithy. This like Dune and Alien Three are would be Alan Smithy projects, um, but their names are attached. Um, and it was the editor who was commenting on this mostly. And off the bat, he was talking about how it was just really hard to work on this film because things just weren't, weren't quite working out. And, and that's in the commentary of the official copy of this film. So they're, you know, they're, they're, they're not unafraid to say that this is a problem. They, they just had a bunch of people who worked on technical things about this, talking about things in, in somewhat of a positive light, like from, from their perspective, working on it technically. Um, and there was one person saying that maybe some people are coming back and thinking this is like an underappreciated thing. And that's awesome from their perspective. Um, but it is very telling, kind of the general attitude from the commentary, even on the disc, of uh, how the reputation of this film has held up. Yep. Yep. Well, I want to like it, David, but thankfully you made up for it for the rest of your career. And I was. And again, I, I yeah. totally see it as like a necessary uh, failure. I, for you know what sucks? Him to yeah, go on. Better define what his trajectory was from there on in. I mean, it is funny because if you told me, like, if this was my introduction to David Fincher, I, I would, I would probably never want to see another one of his films again. But uh, I'm glad that I saw Seven, which I think is a masterpiece. I'm yeah. glad that I saw. He actually had creative uh, control on that one. So Gone Girl, and uh, I, I need to see the Social Network. Yes, you and, do. Uh, Holy crap! I, I Have you seen the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? I, you know, it's funny. Somebody gave me a copy of that recently, but it's on Blu-ray, and I don't have a Blu-ray player. Oh, so, theoretically, I, I have it. I yeah. need to figure out a way to watch it, though. Uh, it, what, here's what, the sad part. Player. 
you no, here's yeah. the thing that pisses me off though. They gave me a copy of it. Like they were like, "Oh, you like movies? Here, have this." And it was like this nice, uh, you know, like uh, special edition, and mm-hmm. it's got the the Blu-ray and the DVD inside. But oh, yeah. when I opened it up, because it had been open, there was two Blu-ray discs in there, <laughs> and then there was oh, a no. DVD disc, but there was like a DVD ROM where they had like pirated it. Or oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm like, what you the hell? And of course, it won't play. Oh. It's like, I, so I need to get a, I need to get a, a Blu-ray player so. and uh, watch. Oh, that, 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 that almost pissed me off when I bought a second-hand copy of Nightcrawler, where it was supposed to be Blu-ray and oh, DVD, yeah. and it didn't have the. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it had the DVD, but didn't have the Blu-ray or vice versa. But it, yeah. it had half of. Yeah. That was the best era for home video, where the DVD, Blu-ray, digital combo packs. You had three copies of the movie. In one oh thing. yeah. That was. That was the best time to get movies. Yeah, for sure. You know what makes me angry? This movie made tons of money. And the girl with the dragon tattoo made such little money that Dave Adventure couldn't do the sequels. I'm so pissed off about that. I'm so angry this movie made money. I'm so <laughs> mad that's also his highest grossing movie. This this film wrestled everyone's jimmies, including, including David Fincher's. It is a sour note. But you know, I feel like you know. I, I have a friend who loves this brand of sci-fi, of like that middle road kind of sci-fi. He likes these kind of derivative type movies, and I think he would have a possibly you know genuine argument for it. And I'm curious about what that would be. I'm gonna ask him, and I'll let you guys know. Um, what, yes, what well, that might you be. Should, I, I, I'm, you should, I'm, I'm, yeah. You you should possibly bring that up next week. Because next hey. week is your very special episode, Devin. Introduce what you're going to oh. be talking about. What are we talking about? I'm scared. Right from the degenerate thread. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, boy. this is a, a, this was a, a collection of films. So I, some time ago, I was absolutely blown away when I uh, found or finally saw this film called Tetsuo the Iron Man, as suggested by a uh, frequent uh, user, uh, contributor on this uh, forum, Rabid Fox. Um, and I, and it was the one f- good film of the three films that he suggested that was like absolutely amazing. And it made me want to explore, uh, Shinya Su- uh, Tsukamoto's other filmography. And I jumped ahead to this uh, little film of his called the snake of June. And, um, the snake of June uh, or he, a snake of June as a snake of June. It's, it. it's an odd title. It's a Japanese film. Uh, it's very interesting. Um, you can see my letterbox review for it. Um, but it made me think about, you know, these other films of uh, that, that that all happen to take place in Japan. And it's about uh, women going crazy after having some bad sexual experience. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're looking at a trilogy of films called The uh, Psychosexual Misadventures in Sunrise Land. <laughs> um, which Japanese uh, is a mouthful of a title. Or the other two films. Yeah. No, it, it's 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 more than that. It's, it's I think it's I, mean, I think there's some interesting. You like know, I, I I I would say I would say <laughs> Shinya Tsukamoto is like a Japanese David Cronenberg. Like he explores things and it sounds and, and like kind of thing. It sounds like Japanese porn with extra steps, but we'll so yeah. we'll dig into that. Uh, what are the other two films, sir? <laughs> next are, are, week? Are, are you are you even on next week? I am not on next week. No, I am not. Oh. I will be back the following week 
stay tuned. Uh, well, true believers. I, I, I recommend that film anyway because it's it's only seventy seven minutes, which I have to Ooh. appreciate. You know these films for being nice and short and sweet. Um, but no, I think that there's a lot more <laughs> happening with, with these films beneath the surface. Um, and I can't wait to, to dive no, right in. No pun intended. Yeah. Uh, so, what well, were the Earth 2 films, sir? Week... Sorry, again? What were the Earth no, 2 I films? Said, until next week. You guys are talking over each other. Sorry, <laughs> Stephen, hold on. Uh, what were the Earth 2 films again, sorry? Oh, sorry. A Snake of June, Woman in the Dunes, and Perfect Blue. Perfect Bang. Blue's been on my list for a long time. Oh, that's been on mine, been... too, actually. So. Thank oh, you. yeah. Sorry about uh, that. We, we looked at yeah. Tokyo Godfather some time ago, and I've been wanting to look more into that that guy's oh, work. Yeah. So, just crossing off a few things, and they, all all the titles kind of rhyme. So I felt like there was a good theme here. We're gonna explore that fully later, and we should have uh, Soraya on board for next hey. week, which was really exciting. I can't wait. Um, yeah, well, it's I can't been... wait to hear uh, her, her her perspective on these films. Well, it has definitely been a pleasure, gentlemen, and uh, until next time, thanks for tuning in. It's the first day yet? Oh, yeah. Stay Shout tuned out to Daryl for listening in. Hey, yes. thank you, Daryl. The one person who actually listens to this. And, uh, and, and being our Jamie looking up facts when I'm misremembering <laughs> people's names. Yes, thank uh, you. Good night, everybody.